Hello, and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Pekosek. And today we're talking about what professionalism means today. Lisa, what does professionalism mean today? Well, it's an interesting topic because it's changed a lot over the last 30 years. If we think about what professionalism meant to our parents, Mm -hmm. it's a lot different from what it means in a lot of companies today. So I think that it's important to talk about because a lot of people who are getting into the workforce can have varying degrees of understanding of what that professionalism looks like. And it's important because it impacts you know, your reputation as you're starting out in your career. And if mm-hmm. you can build a strong reputation at the beginning of your career and continue that throughout, uh, it really helps you long-term. The other thing is that it can change your ability to advance. So it'll either help or hinder you. And then the last piece is really building trust. So whether that's with clients, with your manager, with other colleagues, you want to build trust. And so your professionalism can help you to do that. Very neat. And yeah, there has been a really big shift in terms of the way that the generation, like the baby boomer generation versus the millennials, the way that they tend to carry themselves in their professional lives is pretty different. And so this is it, what I'm hearing is that the standards have sort of changed. Is that the right way of looking at it? I think so. And I think that the values of companies have changed in terms of professionalism. When you think of professionalism from our parents' mm-hmm. age, what do you think of? Oh, I think of my dad going to work with a briefcase and like his tie done all the way up and his trench coat and his just being very, very you know clean cut and proper in the way that he went out and came back from work, you know, he just, he had that sort of, when you think of business person, if you were to look up that word in the dictionary, there was kind of a picture next to him, uh, for me Mm -hmm. at least. So versus nowadays, I mean, I still, I wear a tie to work. I wear a tie to my job, but that's not exactly, that's not a daily thing for me. There are some moments where I can, I can wear something that's a little bit dressed down at the same time like on a day where things are casual in my setting, things are very, very casual and you can see people really start to just sort of show up as they normally would be in their daily lives. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's what comes up for me. Awesome. And it's interesting too, because when you were describing what you thought of professionalism in our, in that older generation, a lot of it had to do with appearance and it wasn't Mm -hmm. just physical appearance, but also, how you come across when you're having a conversation about something. It was very much kind of keeping your personal life to yourself, not bringing that to work. Yep. So there's a lot of different considerations when you think about professionalism now and what those values might look like. Yeah. Yeah. No, I did not hear a word really about my dad's work, for example, yeah. ever. So, I mean, the, the mix of personal and professional being very compartmentalized was something that I was very used to growing up. For sure. So, some of the major major considerations when you're thinking about professionalism today are things like physical appearance for sure, mm-hmm. communication style, your actions in the workplace, social media, your attitude, and your private life conversations. Um, did you have any more to add to that? I think for me that that pretty much covers it off. Maybe the only thing that I would add is in terms of your mentality. I think at the end of the day, the way that you can measure professionalism, regardless of the generation that you're in, is to look at the expectations that have been set on you and the work that you're doing 
and are you are you delivering on those or not are you are you earning the money that you're being paid by either your employer or a client that you're working for so i mean that that to me is an area that we can probably add to to the list yeah that's a great point and it also is very company dependent so mm-hmm. as we kind of talked about certain companies can be very different in terms of what they expect and you we want to wa- match your professionalism style to the company. So if you love wearing suits to work, you want to find a company where that's going to be more formal. Whereas if you love wearing Mm -hmm. jeans to work, you're going to want to find an environment that is a bit more casual. Yeah. The jeans and a t-shirt look doesn't really go well in most banks, for example. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. Okay. Just, I'm curious to, to know your thoughts on this. Why do you think we've moved away from industries being so formal when you look at a newer industry like technology versus an older industry like finance or like education where does the the sort of um casualization if i can create that word i don't know <laughs> if that's a real word but where does the whole dress down appearance come from i feel like our values as a society have changed in mm-hmm. that sense mm-hmm you can look at somebody wearing jeans and a t-shirt and their experience and their knowledge base and their ability to provide value to you is not based on their appearance as much. That's a great point. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, Steve jobs stood in front of all of those crowds at, uh, all those iPhone presentations throughout his career as they released a new whatever, and just like going out and being the poster child for jeans and like a mock, turtleneck or whatever it was has that kind of have people like that really influenced the way that we sort of perceive professionalism today i would think so i think that that makes a lot of sense that there's people that we can really look up to role models that we have now who were able to embody that and do a fantastic job and be really seen as leaders in their fields Mm -hmm. without having to wear the the suit and tie Mm -hmm. cool Okay, so let's let's tackle that list of traits you were just outlining a moment ago. Yeah, so the first one's physical appearance. And we'll talk a little bit later on about do's and don'ts mm-hmm. for each of these areas. Mm-hmm. But your physical appearance can include, you know, whether you're clean shaven, um, your clothing, all that kind of stuff. Um, even tattoos and stuff, you know, in the past, that was really not looked down upon, but there were certain industries where, you know, having a tattoo is just a no, no, Mm -hmm. but these days it's completely different. And there's lots of industries where that's celebrated and really accepted. Yep. Absolutely. Um, in terms of communication, there's a lot of different ways that you can communicate. So with technology now, there's obviously email and instant messaging, Mm -hmm. but there's also the in-person component. Yeah. Which can be sort of like almost a lost art. I feel like for, for millennials or like the the younger half of our, of our workforce, it, it seems like a lot of people who are around our age would prefer to exchange messages via something like Slack, as opposed to actually having either an in-person encounter or to pick up the phone. Is that something that you're pretty familiar with or is it different? I found that it, it varies by industry. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. I find that some people are very comfortable with the online presence and there's other industries where they're just not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's a so, fair point. 
I think that the more that people move to video though, it's really helping because mm -hmm. it does bring that personal touch. It's true that not all industries are digitizing at the same rate. Mm -hmm. uh, and so definitely some of the, some of the older industries, for example, are kind of dragging their feet a little bit with that. But that is an interesting thing to kind of keep an eye on. Are we kind of all headed toward like a convergence of digital communications that rely heavily on tech or is there always going to be some kind of element to, will there always be a level of face-to-face -face or voice-to-voice -voice communication in the way that we do our work? That's a question that I don't have the answer to. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. We'll see. We'll see. So when you think about communication, is there anything else that you can think of? Yeah, I think to me, like the actual structure of how you communicate is important. And I'm not saying that you have to go out and if you're writing something to a colleague or to a client, you don't have to write in 20 word sentences all of the time. Like being able to communicate in a way, in a way that's concise and that, respects the person's time, I think is an incredibly important skill and plays right into the whole professionalism discussion. Mm -hmm. To me, I struggle, for example, when I get an email that is like just giant block of text after giant block of text. And I'm mm -hmm. just like, where, like, where is the structure in this? People are already slower reading off of a screen than they are on a page. And I, I don't know the science behind that, but it's important how we go about actually presenting ourselves in that sort of written and especially written online medium. Um, so for me, that's something that stands out to be able to go out and convey a message in as few words as possible. A lot of the time without leaving ambiguity, that to me is a great, great skill. Yeah. And you made me think of something that Stacey Pollock said last episode about, mm -hmm. you know, when she gets an email that's too long and she's having a busy day, it's probably going to get lost. Yeah. Insta delete, I think was her, her term. Yeah. So going back to that, you know, how can professionalism help you? If you can keep it clear and concise, mm -hmm. you're more likely to get a response. Yep. Yep. Very true. All right. So the next one is your actions. And you mentioned this a little bit when we were talking before, but just getting the job done, um, dependability, it's that building trust piece. Yeah. How do you show up to work? Are you somebody that your manager knows that they can count on or your client can count on mm -hmm. to do well? And also, do you go above and beyond? Do you do the bare minimum or do you actually show that you care about the work that you're doing? Yeah, and I, I don't think that you can really hide it either. If your colleagues have known you for any period of time, it's, it's one of those things that will show up in the way that you carry yourself in the way that you talk about your workplace and the work that you do. I, it's really, really hard to mask a lack of interest in the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, or the degree to which that you take it seriously or not. Yeah. How do you think that that impacts your reputation. I would imagine that it's really hard for someone to look at another colleague whom they think is really just not giving it their all 
isn't even kind of meeting the minimum level of expectation or is just barely kind of getting over the bar there and Mm -hmm. say, yeah, like I have a new project and I need some help with it or I'm building a team. I want that person on the team. I don't think that's a logical train of thought. True. So when it comes to actually receiving new opportunities in your work to actually go out and have that reputation that sort of precedes you, that makes you an attractive candidate for a new opportunity. I think that also ties back into professionalism. Yeah. 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 Great point. So the next one that I have here is social media. And I think that yes. that's a, a new one. As Very. Well. Yes. Hot button. Very hot button. And it's, it's a line, right? Because I've, I read an article recently and I can't exactly remember where I read it, but it was about how companies are going onto social media now and kind of checking up on their employees. So it's a fine line between what's available to the public and, and what, like how you should be presenting yourself, mm-hmm. not only in the workplace, but also on social media. Yeah, totally. I mean, we could certainly talk about how, and much has been said about this, like having a profile on a social platform that is just like not overly professional in the sense of it being, you know, maybe too many pictures of you out at the bar or just, you know, things that if a person who doesn't know you were to take a look at, they would not get the impression that you can carry yourself in the way that they would want you to in their company if they were to hire you. Yeah, for sure. And it's something to keep an eye on. I mean, I have done this a couple of times where I've Googled myself to see what comes up because clients are going to Google me or potential companies that I'd like to work with are going to Google me. And it's Mm -hmm. just good to have a pulse on what's out there Yep. because there might be something that you did when you were 18 years old that you totally forgot about that is on the internet and no, it's there forever. It's there forever. Take it down while you can. <laughs> Before somebody takes a screenshot. Exactly. Yeah. And then and a and lot of employers. Yeah. And a lot of employers use LinkedIn specifically mm-hmm. when they're looking at resumes. It's kind of an extra layer of information for them and yep. an ability for them to see you outside of your resume. So that's another area that if you have a LinkedIn profile that has nothing on it. Mm -hmm. it could actually be detrimental to you. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Being able to present yourself in a way that is deemed professional enough. Let's put it that way. We've talked a little bit about the different levels of formality, but to present yourself in a way that is professional enough for someone to look at you and say, ah, we could trust this person in this role. If we were to hire them, if you don't show up or if you present nothing to somebody, there's no, you know, there's no history there for them to actually go off of and look at and say, oh, this person's trustworthy, as you've said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, I mean, a, a key part of the world today, for sure, is to be able to to still be yourself on social, but also carry yourself in a way that people can trust you. Absolutely. Yeah. The next area that I wanted to focus on is really your attitude and emotions. And this tends to come into your communications, but I feel like it's important to highlight because the way that you react to other people can also be a form of professionalism. Mm -hmm. So 
let's say your boss is having a really bad day. There's something going on with them that you don't know about and they have accidentally taken it out on you and you respond in a very defensive way. Your, your attitude and your emotions come into play there. It's really important to be able to sometimes take a step back when you're in those situations and say, this probably isn't about me and have empathy for whatever is going on with that other person. So if it is your manager, maybe they have extra demands on them from their boss. Maybe they have quarter end that's happening and they're really, really stressed about it. And understanding that a lot of the time it has nothing to do with you. Mm -hmm. So being able to take a step back from your emotions on that side of things. Yeah. Emotional intelligence, being able to kind of gauge where the people around you are at, how are they feeling and how does that impact how you relate with them in that moment? I mean, that, that in itself is an incredibly valuable emotional skill. Being able to disagree with somebody in a way that maintains the respect for the other person. Mm-hmm. You can have conflict that's really personal and you can have conflict that's more ideological. You can have conflict around an idea or a concept or a point of view, which is can be extremely impersonal and you can have great debate. In fact, a lot of, a lot of leadership literature is around how do you have uh, a team that can debate in a way that, you know, no one really does feel like they've been attacked personally, that their ideas are still being heard. They might not be agreed upon, but they haven't been invalidated by, by the team. So if you're around somebody who is, yeah, let's just say having an off day, how do you hear them out and validate their point of view without necessarily, even if you disagree with them, without putting them down or in a place where you're just damaging the relationship that you've got. Absolutely. Yeah. And the point around being able to disagree, it reminds me, this is a little bit of a stretch, but Mm -hmm. I went on a European tour when I graduated university and our tour guide was amazing. And the one thing that she said as we were going to the different places, she said, just remember, it's not wrong, just different. (laughs) And I've continued to think of that anytime somebody has a different opinion than me or a different idea of something, because it's not wrong. It's just different. Wow. It's a good, good recall right there. And that's, that's a great way of summarizing it in just a line to be able to see other people's perspectives as not threatening your own. Mm-hmm. And so you can maintain your, your sense of calm in those sometimes really tense moments that can test your professionalism. For sure. Yeah. Cool. And that kind of leads over to the private life conversations. Mm -hmm. So these days people are a lot more comfortable talking about their personal lives at work. And I think that that's a good thing because Mm -hmm. you want to be vulnerable. You want to let people know what's going on, but there is definitely a fine line. Yeah. So like for you, where would that fine line potentially be when you either think of yourself or the people that you've worked with? It goes back to the trust for me and the reputation. If it's something that would cause somebody to think, is this person going to be able to continue doing this job if I tell this story, Mm. then I'm probably not going to tell it. (laughs) I've been in workplaces where people come back from the weekend and they recount their whole detailed crazy weekend. And there's components in there that you can probably keep to yourself. Yeah. 
but at the same time, there's people who you say, how was your weekend? They're like, it was good. And you're like, what did you get up to? And they're like, oh, not too much. And so there's a professionalism piece in there where you don't want to give too little either. Yeah, no, for sure. If someone has, has voiced an interest in you and you just sort of shut them down with like a non-answer, then I mean, good luck building a connection there. Mm -hmm. But then yes, being able to just sort of realize when, you know, maybe your story isn't really what that other person wanted to hear when they asked you the question of how your weekend went to be able to just check in with yourself and say, Oh, like, you know, I can stop after a couple of events or one or two highlights or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But it can definitely be very helpful going back to what you said about the vulnerability piece, because in order to really build trust with someone there has to be a degree of vulnerability mm -hmm. in, in who, in how you present yourself and in the person that you are. If, if you're not showing any vulnerability ever, typically speaking, you're not really trusting of anyone else. Mm -hmm. So being able to release a little bit of your story into, in a natural way into your professional life can be really, really important and beneficial in the long term in terms of that trust factor. For sure. And it also helps other people around you to empathize with you. Yeah. We talked about that emotional intelligence and it, it helps to build teams and it helps people to realize that you're a human being as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, you're not some corporate drone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Going back really, really quickly to your communication piece. When you drop the ball on something, how do you like to apologize for it? That has been one of the biggest things that I learned very early on in my career is that mm -hmm. if you own up to it and you get it, you, you know, you be direct about what happened, it's a lot easier to deal with than if you brush it under the rug and deal with it later. Oh yeah, totally. Just like swallow the medicine and get it over with. Otherwise it just, it stays there and it ferments and turns into something really ugly over time. Yeah usually gets way worse. Totally. Being open about your concerns. That's a really big part of being professional. Mm -hmm. If you're not yeah. able to express how you feel or share your concerns, again, it goes back to there being a lack of trust mm -hmm. with other people. And that can sometimes be put upon you by your manager as well. Yep. There's managers out there who are not professional, who if you do own up to something, it becomes a very big issue, but mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what the other person's professionalism style is. You have to keep your integrity and do what's right, regardless of how the other person's going to react. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly in terms of how you define it as, as being right. If you find yourself wildly out of integrity by agreeing with your boss or your manager on something, if you agree with your boss or your manager on something and you know, deep down that that is in conflict with your values and your beliefs, good luck being able to maintain any kind of trusting relationship in the long term with that person. Yeah. You're just going to be tearing yourself apart with thoughts that you just don't agree with and have to go along with for the sake of your professional work. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you gauge professionalism in your workplace? I certainly look at how people are delivering on the things that they've been expected to deliver on. Mm -hmm. that's probably one thing. And 
are they showing up on time, doing the things that they said they would do, being prepared for the things that they're about to go forward with? That to me sends a lot of strong signals about how professional they are. Mm-hmm. And the more often they do that, the stronger the signal in terms of the, the trust and the professionalism factor gets. So yeah. rep- repetition there is key. Seeing somebody who is really inconsistent in the way that they show up or they deliver, to me, signals some, that's a red flag for me, for sure. Yeah. And of course, somebody who is consistently showing up and being disruptive or destructive or just not meeting the expectations that have been set out for them, I mean, to me, that's a sign that there has to be some sort of change made for the good of the organization. But those are some of the things for me is just how, how consistently well do they deliver on the tasks at hand? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time that can come from the top down really. Mm -hmm. So if you're wondering how professional is your workplace, you know, you can look at the CEO. What, Mm -hmm. how do they act? How do the VPs act? How do the managers act? How do the clients act? You can start to gauge just by looking at the environment around you. Um, Another way that I like to go about it is to find somebody who's been at the company for a while or find a mentor. And I find that that's just a good career strategy in general Mm -hmm. is just Mm -hmm. to find somebody that you can kind of bounce ideas off. Yep. Yeah. And when all else fails, if you're, if, if you don't know if something is professional or not, just ask, just be direct. I remember uh, in a couple of my early jobs, sending emails was always, it's like, all right, is this too concise? Do I sound like I'm angry? And so I would just ask my manager to read it over before I sent it. And it mm-hmm. was a two or three second thing. And I would say, you know, read the sentence. How do you take that? And if yep. they, if it comes across well, then I would send it. And if they had some suggestions, then I would take those suggestions too. Yeah. It's a, it's a simple exercise and most people are more than willing to, to help out and just sort of be, a sober second thought on what you're putting out there with your communications. Do you find, have you found that over time that your confidence in your communications has really grown in part because of those sort of reassurances that have happened or just from, just from regular delivery of quality messages? Has your confidence grown through that? Definitely. And also making mistakes. Also having sent out an email and looking at it later and thinking, oh gosh, what did mm-hmm. I do? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, there's a lot of ways that you can get feedback on things. And so it's in part, definitely repetition and practice and part of it's learning from mistakes, part of it's asking and yeah. part of it's just experience over time. The number of people that you communicate, you start to understand people's styles and you can read things without having to ask. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I was watching a lot of hockey when I was growing up and Nick Lidstrom who played for the Detroit Red Wings was saying that experience is only deemed unimportant by the people who don't have it. (laughs) So true. (laughs) Yeah. I'm paraphrasing him a little bit, but it was, it was that message. It's awesome. Cool. So I'd love to just talk about some best practices, do's and don'ts, things that are good, things that aren't. So what are some things that you've seen or thought of that are do's and don'ts of professionalism today? So do be honest Mm -hmm. and be 
be yourself and be authentic in the way that you state how you feel. You can be political in the sense of trying to say something that other people will agree with, mm-hmm. or you can be authentic and say how you really feel. And whether there's agreement or not, you're still showing up as a credible person. That to me is, is really important. So that's a do be, be authentic state your real case. I want to just add to that. Yeah. I think that's a really, really important point and a really great point. There is a way to do it though, tactfully, Mm -hmm. because I think that at times, especially if you're new in a role that it can come across as rude. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a tactful way. And, And the way that I like to think about it or to tell my clients to think about it is imagine that you owned the company. How would you like to receive that message? Hmm. That's a great question. So can you, can you give me a bit of an example on that? Yeah. So let's say that there's a suggestion that you have for something that you know needs to be done. There's people who would just keep it to themselves, but if Mm -hmm. I owned a company, I would actually want to know about that. Mm. So bringing that direct piece in is important to say, yes, I would, I would definitely want to know about this. How can I do it in a way that is not offensive to the the person receiving this message? Yeah. Yeah, Will it, will it add value and at the same time maintain the relationship that I have with that person? Yeah. So, um, you you don't want to say to somebody that's horrible. You need to change it. You want to say, I noticed that there's a part of this that you could potentially do this way. And you can offer a suggestion as opposed to saying everything is wrong. You did a horrible job and you know, you need to change it. Yeah. You, the word you can be a really dangerous word in debates that become really heated. If you start using the word you, you might as well just start kissing relationships goodbye one sentence after another, mm-hmm. because now you're departing from like the ideological conflict and more towards a personal conflict. Mm-hmm. And the other piece there, just when I, I say to think about, like, imagine if you owned the company, mm-hmm. what is the benefit of making the change? So if you have a suggestion for something, if you really focus on what the benefit is going to be mm-hmm. instead of what the problem is, then it, it can really shape that discussion. Yeah. So like having some degree of, of sales skills there with how you present topics to be able to present to somebody why it's in their best interest to consider the opinion you're bringing. Um, that's something that most people do not get going with right out of college early on, but the more that you can sort of start to appeal to the motivations, the natural motivations of others through your presentation, the more successful you're going to be in terms of delivering and executing your ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Um, I mean, I have, I have a pet peeve, you know, best practice thing here. It, it drives me crazy when I read an apology from someone that sounds something like, Hey Mike, I'm really sorry. I didn't get back to you. I was just completely caught up in the yada, 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 and just couldn't get by with the da 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 da. I'm like, Hey, I'm really sorry. I didn't get back to you stop. Yeah. Just boom. Leave it at that. Everything you say after 
I'm sorry for not delivering on this. Everything that comes after that phrase is watering down the apology. Mm. So just fully accepting, taking responsibility for, you know, a mistake or not, not doing something you said you would or not being on time with something that to me is something that really signals professionalism. When someone can just say, I'm sorry, stop, and then moves forward and gets back on track with where things were supposed to go. That to me is a very positive sign. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great point. So, yeah, I mean, that's an easy one. You just check how you've written your apology and cut the sentence in half most of the time. That's actually great advice for any area of your life, relationships, yeah. <laughs> friendships. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Just fully embrace the apology. Don't, don't water yourself down. Just show up, say it, mean it, and move on. Love it. Yeah. Let's see. What are some of your do's and don'ts that you've got in terms of professionalism? Uh, so number one, don't show up on your first day in jeans unless your manager has specifically told you to. <laughs> there are some industries where that is absolutely a thing, but always err on the side of caution. And, you know, it's always better to dress up than to dress down. Yeah, I can remember uh, a new employee in a workplace who everyone all the guys had to wear ties and he showed up for like a week straight without wearing a tie. And he didn't, I don't think he lasted more than two weeks. He said he didn't <laughs> own a tie. Uh, so he clearly wasn't really a fit in terms of the professionalism that the culture of professionalism that, that was in place there. Yeah. But yeah. Overdress versus underdress early on. Exactly. Um, don't engage in office gossip. Mm. This can be a tough one yep. that you can get sucked into pretty easily, especially in the lunchroom or if you go for drinks with people after work. But this again goes back to trust. And if somebody is gossiping about somebody else in your presence, you start to wonder if they're going to be gossiping about you when you're not around. Yeah, very true. And it can also get back to people. So, you know, as much as you might think that somebody's a good friend, they may also have ulterior motives. Yeah. Yeah. No, if, I mean, if you don't have something nice to say about someone, just don't say it. Yeah. Certainly in those settings, there are times and places where honest feedback and some of the things we've been talking about in terms of how you share a potentially critical or constructive point of view are appropriate. But if it's just in the casual confines of office conversation, then I'd say leave it out. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Cool. What else? Um, I would say do show respect to everybody regardless of their position. Yeah, absolutely. No one's beneath you. No one's above you. Just like we're all human beings here. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's important. And I know that that's a big thing that is advice for people when they go into interviews as well, you know, have a great conversation with the receptionist. Yeah. They could be the person who is influencing the hiring decision. So yep. there's a lot of different scenarios that that can come into play. Um, don't, can I add, can I just yeah. add one thing to that? Yeah, yeah. Do continue to be the person that went to the interview and got the job. Being 
someone who shows up and interviews really, really well. And then a week later after they've started their new job is completely different. That is not going to help your career one bit. That's a good point. I have seen people get dismissed within one or two weeks of getting hired because ultimately they weren't really the same person in both places. Yeah. That's a really great point. I've seen that as well. Yeah. So do be yourself. Yes. And it doesn't help you or the company. No, no, for sure. No one's happy with that one. Yeah. Uh, don't use slang or emojis in your emails unless it's your work best friend. I like that guideline. I would say that I'm someone who hesitates to use emojis until I see, like I don't initiate the emoji part of a conversation. If somebody has emojied me, then I'm, <laughs> I might be like open to a smiley face or whatever, but I'm, yeah, like A, I never initiate and B, my repertoire of emojis and emails is like, you know, it's, it's two or three things maybe. It might be a thumbs up. It might be a smiley face. And I can't even name a third thing. No winky face though for me. That's that's <laughs> definitely out. And there's definitely a time and place like you're saying. I mean, the first communication that you have with somebody shouldn't be riddled with emojis because then it, you just kind of look at that and like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, now you're like deciphering the Rosetta Stone. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting though because like there are, and I think this is something that I've seen more in tech than in other places, but you can have communications that are really emoji heavy and everything is just sort of um, like a lot of the formality of conversations and things like a Slack chat room. Yes. It's come way down and it, it's acceptable there, but don't accept, don't assume that it's always acceptable everywhere else with other people who are not used to that culture. Right. Yeah. And if you're emailing the CFO, you probably doesn't want a winky emoji. Probably doesn't. No. He or she. Yeah. They probably just want to see a few sentences with like seven to 12 words each and a period at the end of each one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and your name signed at the bottom. Exactly. I mean, start with that. And if you have a great connection from, from that, then yeah, maybe you emoji them in six months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And I think that that's pretty much it. The, the last piece really is just, you know, err on the side of caution. If you're, like I said before, if you're nervous about something or mm -hmm. you're not really sure, err on the side of caution or ask somebody. Ask for help. Yeah. And that, that'll get you far. Yeah. You'll be okay. For sure. Cool. That was a good discussion. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Let's, let's wrap it up with that. And, uh, We'll come back to the, and this probably again one day once we've figured out, you know, what's the next big thing after Slack emojis? Who knows? <laughs> Sounds great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for tuning in. We hope to see you again next week on the Career Builders podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Pekosek. And we'll talk to you again soon.